I like to call Socrates the quintessential Athenian philosopher. Although he was viewed by most of his contemporaries as an outsider, or even a bit of a weirdo, he's effectively the godfather, not only of the academic school founded by Plato, but also of the Stoic school founded by Zeno, and of many other sects of philosophy which were inspired by him. It may surprise some of you to learn that Socrates had experience of public office. He once served as a counsellor during an Athenian political crisis that took place in 406 BC toward the end of the Peloponnesian War. Socrates was chosen to serve as a member of the Athenian bully, a legislative council numbering about 500 men, a sort of cross between a municipal council and the upper house or senate of a modern day parliament. Its members swore a solemn oath to advise the Athenian assembly or lower house on what was best for the city and the people and in accord with its laws. During the trial that followed the naval battle of Argonusae, Socrates actually served as the epistates or presiding chairman of the bully, the most senior role. These positions were determined by lot rather than election and were held for relatively short periods. Nevertheless, Socrates did serve in a senior executive position in public office during a major historical trial, roughly comparable to being the chairman leading a modern day Senate inquiry. So what happened? Well, Socrates almost caused a riot by blocking a motion which sought to try the accused generals collectively rather than individually. He objected that it violated the council's oath to uphold the law. He was absolutely right. It would have been totally unjust and unlawful. Nevertheless, the factions supporting the motion whipped up a mob calling for Socrates to be impeached and arrested and even threatening to have him executed. As far as we know, incidentally, this was the first of about three or four separate occasions on which Socrates was threatened with execution by different political factions at Athens. Showing extraordinary temperance and courage, despite the threats to his life, he stood his ground. His wisdom and commitment to justice, in other words, would have meant nothing if he hadn't also been able to exercise courage and self-discipline when it counted most. Socrates walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. There are many aspects of Socratic philosophy relevant to modern leadership, not least Plato's magnum opus, The Republic, which is all about his vision of the ideal political state. However, I want to focus on what one of Socrates' other followers, the Athenian general Xenophon, tells us in his book recording the conversations between Socrates and his circle, known as the Memorabilia Socratis. According to Xenophon, Socrates liked to say that the true kings among us are not always those who hold scepters or wear crowns. Nor, says Socrates, are the true leaders necessarily those who have been elected to office by the people. Tyrants, furthermore, who only attain power by force or deception are more like impostors or bogus leaders. We therefore need to think much more deeply about the nature of leadership. Throughout history, mankind has been repeatedly duped into accepting the wrong leaders. Lots of men, and in the modern world, also women, claim to be our leaders. 
whether in politics, the workplace, or in institutions like schools or the armed forces. They're put forward as leaders by others, talked about as if they're leaders, occupy positions of power, and perhaps have numerous supporters, but do they actually exhibit leadership? Just because people follow you, it doesn't make you a leader. Instead, Socrates made the very simple but radical claim that the true leaders are those who actually know how to lead, regardless of whether they happen to be in positions of power or not. One of Socrates' most fundamental aims is to constantly remind us, constantly, to distinguish between appearance and reality. Who's a real physician? The one with expertise and no patients, or the one with lots of patients, but zero expertise? Things often aren't as they appear. The uniform doesn't make the man. The man makes the uniform. Genuine leadership, in other words, is a set of character traits. For all we know, a man once lived who surpassed even Alexander the Great in terms of natural leadership, in terms of his character and virtues. And yet perhaps due to his circumstances, he died without ever finding any followers. And many of the people throughout history who've claimed to be leaders or appeared to others to be leaders are far from possessing the traits that would justify their claim to that title. Their followers certainly treated Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin as leaders and expected others to do so as well. Socrates would say they lacked the essential qualities though required of true leaders. And it was a travesty for anyone to ever call them by that name. First and foremost, leadership requires moral wisdom or at least relevant knowledge. Otherwise, it's just the blind leading the blind. Socrates liked to say that the role of the leader is to give orders and the followers is to obey. So a leader must know which orders to give. On a ship, especially during a storm, even wealthy and powerful men, if they have any sense, will obey the captain because he knows how to sail. Likewise, even men who think they're very important when they get sick and fear for their lives will obey their doctor's orders, assuming he knows how to treat their illness. And if the experts, the men with the know-how, are not present in our hour of need and we have any sense, we'll send for them. Leaders, first and foremost, even if acquiring it from advisors, must have the requisite knowledge and expertise for the task at hand. That's a big problem in terms of government, because very few people have much expertise when it comes to knowing what's good for society as a whole. We're smart enough to put ships in the care of their captains and the sick in the care of doctors, but we tend to put society as a whole in the care of individuals who don't know anything about society or what constitutes its welfare. They may be very intelligent and persuasive, but if they're in charge, they also need to know what direction we're best to head in. Otherwise, they might be really effective at leading the rest of us straight off a cliff. Leaders without wisdom are not real leaders. They're just fools with people following them. Apart from wisdom, the other big theme of the memorabilia is the virtue of self-discipline. Xenophon believes that Socrates' only real error was that he taught the art of political debate to young men such as Alcibiades and Critias, 
without first educating them in self-discipline. So they became influential and powerful leaders, but got themselves and their countrymen into a lot of trouble because of their greed and craving for power and glory. True wisdom requires self-mastery because we can't hope to act consistently in accord with reason if we're easily swayed by fears and desires. That's how intelligent people end up doing stupid things. We put people who seem smart in charge and then wonder why they make bad decisions when it counts the most. It's because even once they find the right path, they lack the discipline required to stay on it and get us to our destination safely. Socrates therefore says that any Athenian youth being trained for leadership would need to learn enough self-control to keep his head under pressure. He should be able to control his appetite for food and drink so that it does not get in the way of his duties as a leader. He should learn to manage his sleep as there will be occasions when a leader needs to stay up late and get out of bed early to get things done. He must learn how to prevent his judgment from being clouded by strong emotions such as fear and anger. He must learn to endure hard work patiently. Socrates adds that a leader who lacks self-discipline is also more vulnerable to manipulation. He might be tricked by enemies who will take advantage of his desires if they know he lacks self-control. Hunters, he says, easily trap quails in their nets, for instance, by means of lures, such as the food they desire or the mating calls of the female of their species. Don't you think it's disgraceful, he says, that a man should be in the same plight as the silliest of wild creatures? Countless politicians throughout the centuries have been lured into sexual encounters and then blackmailed, and so have many wealthy businessmen. By contrast, the sort of men or women who would never fall into that trap, according to Socrates, are good leaders, responsible people, people we might be able to trust with great power. Finally, he states the conclusion he's been working toward very clearly in the following words. If then we classify those who control themselves in all these matters as fit to rule, shall we not classify those who cannot behave so as men with no claim to be rulers. In other words, what Socrates wants us to remember is that whether or not they happen to be in positions of power, only individuals capable of self-control are fit to rule, and only such men and women as these can accurately be described as leaders. Thank you so much, Donald. Um, I'm very glad that you brought your Scottish accent today, uh, as indicated in the chat. And I wish that uh, Alcibiades had listened to Socrates' advice. Maybe the history of the world would have been a little bit different. 